What I say about alcohol is that it's not getting rid of the anxiety. It's not getting rid of the problem. It's just pickling it. Like alcohol is a preservative. It literally is pickling it and keeping it around for later. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review if you like the show, and you can consider it my holiday gift. I appreciate that. I am excited this week to welcome guest Amanda Kuda. Welcome to the whole view, Amanda. Thanks, Stacey. I'm great. Grateful to be here with you all. We actually went in depth into the health reasons for why to reduce alcohol consumption on an earlier episode 57. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes for everyone, which includes a plethora of information about alcohol on our health. And I think this time of year, a lot of us are thinking about ways that we can feel better and focus on our health. And going dry has been one of the best things that I've ever done for my health. And I know a lot of people think about doing dry January. So I wanted to talk with you today, not just about that, but some of the steps that you outline and recommend in your book, which we're going to talk about shortly. But I know also since we've had that show, I've heard from a lot of people who have reduced their alcohol for their health, physically, mentally, feeling much better. But if for some reason there's been a slide back to it during this holiday season or you're consuming more than you intended, like none of this is meant to guilt or shame. It's actually one of the reasons why we talk about these things and we're going to talk about the support systems to put into place and all the kinds of things that Amanda focuses on to help us be successful with this. But know that everything that we're talking about in the show is intended to act as a way to support your health and being stressed out and self-criticizing and being full of guilt or shame is none of those things. So please take what works for you, leave the rest. And to give you a little more background on Amanda, she is the author of A Life-Changing Guide for Going Alcohol-Free, Manifesting Success and Planting the Seeds for an Extraordinary Life. As sober personal development coach, she helps people get over the need for drinking, which may be holding you back. And like a lot of successful young professionals, her life was a carousel of opportunity to drink. Honestly, I just think there's an opportunity to drink like for everybody all the time. Like we Fine. we could talk about, doesn't matter what season of life you're in, there's like a if you're not a young professional, then it's like the cliche of moms drinking wine because they're stressed out, right? Like there's always some sort of something culturally. So yes, you, but also everybody has all of these opportunities to drink that ultimately left you, Amanda, feeling unfulfilled in her spirit, relationships, and career. There was no rock bottom or a need for a recovery program, but you found that you did need a change. And it was 
taking a dry January that helped you realize sobriety was the linchpin for the better life that you were craving. And in a culture that treats alcohol as a cure-all to subdue anxiety, grease, celebration, cutting out alcohol helped you and can help all of us as we try to reach our full potential as well. So Amanda focuses on finding a foundation for a less volatile relationship with alcohol, which I love. Like it's not a all or nothing approach. And we're going to talk about that a little bit to help you negotiate how you feel about drinking, to connect with your inner child and to set new boundaries and achieve your relationship or career goals. And with an approach rooted in psychology, her book, Unbottled Potential, and our discussion today will challenge you to open your mind to the extraordinary possibilities of an alcohol-free life, as much as I know everybody hates to hear it. <laughs> so, yeah, I was right there with you all. I know. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I, as I mentioned, am also 99.9% dry. I usually drink maybe once a year and then remember why I don't. Uh-huh. Um, and so I have a lot in common with your story, but I would love to hear more from you specifically about what really, what clicked for you and what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that introduction. And also the caveat at the beginning, I've been on a lot of shows promoting my book and a lot of times people just dive right in. I'm like, wait a second, your people need to know that this isn't a hellfire and brimstone type of conversation. This isn't a let me tell you why alcohol is bad, wrong, and evil. This is a conversation about who are you? Who do you want to be? And is it possible that this very normalized substance, this very normalized relationship is keeping you stuck and keeping you from getting there? Because the reality is, even in a culture where you're surrounded by a lot of health and wellness, there's a lot of health and wellness people who tout balance and who will teach you how to integrate alcohol. And I get that. But at the end of the day, I want to teach people to ask the really important question, which isn't, do I have a problem with alcohol, but is alcohol creating problems in my life? And I started asking this question about a decade ago, and it was a really novel conversation at that point in time, because about 10 years ago, there really weren't resources around sobriety that did not center around addiction and recovery. And I grew up in a household where I was exposed to alcoholism and I know what addiction looks like and I know what recovery equals and I know how very important it is. But when I was beginning to question my relationship with alcohol, there wasn't anything remarkable or even worrisome about that relationship. Sure, I was maybe drinking a little heavily on some occasions, but no one else around me was doing anything differently. And I was at that point in my life on this journey where I wanted to be I wanted to have deeper friendships. I wanted to step into some pro professional shifts that I was a little afraid to make. I wanted to have a better romantic relationships and I wanted to just feel better in general. And I was doing all the things. Stacy, I was meditating. I was exercising. I was doing my fitness pal and tracking my food and tracking my calories. I was trying to use more clean and organic products in my life. I was journaling, doing all the things that were sold to help us improve our health. And all of it was just having really modest results. So I started to ask myself, is there something wrong with me? Am I doing this wrong? Am I doomed? And I was really in a place where I was like, woe is me. Everything, even though I'm a pretty upbeat person, I had this underlying sense of everything sucks. The world is out to get me. 
what's wrong? Why isn't this working for me? And finally, I stopped asking those sorry questions. And I said, what if it's not about so much about adding great habits into my life, but at looking at the suboptimal habits that I'm keeping or trying to keep or really being stubborn about keeping? And what if it's about removing those or one of those? And when I looked at the equation that way, what I saw on the scale was all of these good habits were outweighed by one really normalized, not so great habit, which was drinking alcohol. And I went on a journey. Um, I really, I well, my journey started when, with me trying to moderate alcohol, trying to drink less. And that just did, didn't really work for me. And we can discuss why as we get into conversation. Ultimately, what did work with me for me was taking a long stint of abstinence. I started with dry January back in 2017. So coming up on seven years and I never drank since. I have not had a drop of alcohol since January 1st, 2017. And I'll tell you, Stacey, it is the single most beneficial, transformative decision I've ever made in my life. Every element of my life has been better because of that decision. And we can dive deeper from there. I love that. And I've also had that similar experience. I reduced my alcohol consumption a lot when I had children mm-hmm. 18 years ago. I've never been someone to like drink a lot of alcohol like you. I have members on both sides of our family with addiction issues. And so it just was never something that I wanted to accidentally lean on too much, so to speak. But it was at the beginning of the pandemic when I was like, this is not something that I want to like. I saw a lot of people really leaning into alcohol and the reports about like the sales of alcohol going up. And I was like, this is going to be a really bad, this is like a hamster wheel that's going to be really hard to get off of once you're in that cycle. And I was noticing as I was getting older, it wasn't just about dehydration and hangover that I was experiencing. I was also experiencing really significant health changes when I drank alcohol. Specifically, I found myself experiencing really high anxiety even the same evening that I would drink alcohol, my head would hit the pillow and I would just be overwhelmed by anxiety, not to mention all like the physical things. So that's why we tackled that at an earlier show, episode 57, where we talked a lot about those kind of very specific and clear links to mental health, but physical health as well, being that alcohol is a carcinogen and all of these different kinds of things, which is incredibly hard to believe considering that there's all these reports that claim red wine can be good for you or all these different things. And really the the science is not supportive. No, no, those are shiny marketing headlines. And if somebody wants to, as you say, make health changes in one area and recognize like this is a choice that I'm making and I'm offsetting it. Certainly like I get my nails done. That is a choice that I made. That is not a choice that is benefiting my health, but it's something I really enjoy. And I know that I'm doing all these other choices on the other side. I think the difference is that it is culturally and marketing wise, really, truly tricking people into thinking that drinking red wine every evening is actually good for someone's health. And that's where I get frustrated because that's not the truth. And I think if people were to pull back, they would feel it in their own body, which I love that you talk about as being really evaluating that relationship and how it feels for yourself, because I truly think that's the best thing that everybody can do. It doesn't matter how many scientific studies are out there. 
you're saying your life has improved since then, I know that there's absolutely no way that I would have gotten through the pandemic with everything that we had going on if I was on a mood and emotional roller coaster from alcohol. So I love and wanted to start with a quote from Unbottled Potential, your book, that I think will, I think a lot of people will relate to. So you said, when we fetishize something, we make it almost godlike. What could be more godlike than believing that one single substance could be responsible for both elevating our happiness and subduing our misery? This is precisely the pedestal we've placed alcohol on. It's no wonder we're hesitant to remove such a seemingly magical substance from our lives. We fear, on a visceral level, that we'll be without the thing that will hold our lives together. With the rest of the world shouting about how much we need alcohol to relax and cut loose, it's no wonder we hold on to the fantasy that we can keep alcohol in our lives, if only in some little moderate way. So I'm wondering if you could share a little more about that and what you call this love story that we tell ourselves as it relates to alcohol. Uh, Oh, I love that quote. I haven't actually pulled that one out to use and I just made a little note. It's just such a good representation of how we make something so sexy for ourselves and how we romanticize it and almost fetishize it to the point of we are willing to suffer the consequences of the pain because we think that the benefits are so lucrative. And so if you were to look alcohol like a really bad relationship, either you or even to remove yourself a little bit, maybe one of your girlfriends has been in. She's dating a guy and let's, you know what, let's not even say it's a bad relationship. Let's just say you look at this person who she's dating and you think he's not who I would want for you. You could do better. He's bringing you down. He's lowering your self-confidence. He's making you a little lazy. He's making you believe that you need him to be complete. And what do we do with alcohol but that exact same story? We make ourselves sick from it. We overindulge in it. Sometimes even when we indulge at a moderate level, we don't feel that great. Just as you were saying, you get anxiety or you're feeling just lethargic the next day. And it makes us tell mean stories to ourselves. When I was drinking alcohol on a consistent, not even heavy basis, I always had this kind of woe is me, ho-hum attitude. And I always also was telling myself these stories about how incapable I was. So let me give you an example. I'm so anxious, or maybe one of your listeners, uh, my kids are frustrating me so much. It's so hard to do this. I can't handle it. I need to check out. And so I was telling myself these stories about how low worth I was or how incapable I was. And if you had a girlfriend who was doing that with a relationship saying, I'm not good enough, I'll never find anyone else, but I don't feel very good when I hang out with my boyfriend or my lover. He brings down my self-confidence. He's keeping me stuck in an unproductive loop. He's keeping me stuck in my career. He's keeping me stuck in some unhealthy patterns. Wouldn't you look at that girlfriend and say, hey, honey, I think it's time to ditch. I think it's time to ditch him. I think it's time to take a break. Go no contact. Of course you would because you're a good friend and you can see the writing on the wall. Yet we do the same thing with alcohol. And then what we do is I see this all the time. Really well-meaning, really intelligent women will take a break and they'll get to this point. They're like, well, I wonder what he's doing. Maybe I should give him a call. Maybe I should just look him up on social media. Maybe I should just, maybe we could just hang out and it would be okay. Or it's been a while. Maybe we could just start dating again and it would be different. And we do the same thing with alcohol. We fetishize it and we forget about the hard parts. We play down the hard parts. We play down the parts that it's making our lives not great for this one little hit of endorphins, this one little hit of feeling good. And the the message I want to convey to people listening is you deserve to feel good all the time. 
And if you are in an unproductive relationship, it's not giving back to you and making you feel better all the time, making you be a better version of you, then why wouldn't you want someone else to fully consider breaking up with that relationship, removing that relationship from their lives? But we have such a hard time doing that with alcohol because it is so socially acceptable and it's literally shoved at you from every angle, especially if you're a mom, because it's your mommy juice. It's how you cope with all the insurmountable stresses of motherhood. And let me tell you what, though, if you were to be able to approach all of those stressors in your full mental capacity, feeling great, feeling hydrated, feeling radiant and vibrant, it'd actually be a lot easier. Like, have you found that, Stacey, that all this stuff that you used to use alcohol maybe to cope with is actually a lot easier now that you're operating 100%? Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox with a deal we are clucking over. Chicken wings free for a year. We have loved using ButcherBox for years. With four teenagers and inflation, our grocery bills would have been hit hard. But with their deals, we're able to count on protein that keeps everyone satiated without constantly running to the store. It is my one-stop solution for saving time and money year-round while supporting sustainability and ethical animal treatment. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, which means health-promoting benefits like conjugated linoleic acid and healthy omega-3 fatty acids. Always shipped for free, frozen, right to you in an eco-friendly box, 100% recyclable. They're a certified B Corp focused on quality for you, the animal, and the planet. No worrying about finding the right things at the picked over stressful busy stores this holiday season because you will have exactly what you need delivered to your door all at amazing values and that is what we do seriously it feels like magic like is that the magic of the holiday season because I don't need to do a single thing yes please and my kids are happy because they love chicken wings i cannot believe butcherbox is offering a whole year of free wings. You can choose from a variety of plan options, including your own custom option, which is what we do. And if it's been a while since you gave it a try or it's your first time, I am confident you're going to be impressed with lots of new options that they have. And this deal is too good to pass up. Like I said, you can sign up today at butcherbox.com wholeview and use code wholeview to get free chicken wings for a year. That's three pounds of free chicken, organic chicken wings free in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com slash wholeview and use code wholeview. Uh, It's like the understatement of the year. And I Mm -hmm. would say the other thing is that not only am I operating at a better place, but at the same time, I decided that I was going to really work on better coping skills. So alcohol is something that if you're leaning into is what's classified as a maladaptive coping skill, right? Like it's something that we lean into as you were describing. I loved your analogy. Like the metaphor is fantastic. But I think no matter what you're experiencing, like it is 100% valid that we all have these negative feelings of some kind, right? Like whether it's grief Mm -hmm. or a hard day, like your feelings, whether you're a mother or a single person or you've lost someone, What, whatever your situation, like those feelings are super valid. And wanting to numb or check yourself out is something that a lot of us learn to do 
at a young age before we can do alcohol and then are legally supposed to be consuming (laughs) alcohol. And then as we grow, as does our dependency on that, right? Our body and our brain is like, oh, you're effectively using because the brain is saying, yes, you're able to check out. The brain is not evaluating all of the different things that the alcohol is doing to you. It is simply saying, you made this choice because you wanted to dull the edge on this thing. It did dull the edge. And now you're experiencing this different situation. Let's use this thing that dulls the edge, right? And you train your brain. We've talked before on the show about neural pathways, like you're building that ditch into the ground over and over again in your brain to create this pathway of alcohol will help me with this problem. And that's really just a story that you're telling yourself because, as you said, Amanda, there's so many other things that you're not considering that it is causing. And so for me, part of stopping consuming alcohol meant that I needed something else to lean on in those moments where I wanted to dull or I wanted to um, feel like I had support in some sort of way. And it took work. It took effort. And that's something that I think when you're overwhelmed or burned out already is really hard. And why someone like you, there are coaches out there to help people quit alcohol because I do think that it's really important whether you're talking to a licensed therapist or you're talking to a coach like in some sort of capacity. For me, it was finding support groups for what was really hard during that time, which was I was a foster mom who was taking in troubled teens. I have three of my own biological children at home in virtual school, two of which are neurodiverse and having a really difficult time. And my husband and I switched roles. I became the stay-at-home parent and he went to work and that was really difficult. And so we went to marriage counseling to support our communication and to work better together. And through that process, now when something strikes me and my brain still, I don't know if you feel this, Amanda, but like my brain still in those moments sometimes, even though it's been years, will say a drink would be really great right now. Like I like just something comes up. My kids are all running around like crazy or whatever the case may be. And in my brain, I'm like, oh my gosh, what I need is a drink. And what I've trained myself to do when I feel that is like, as it's been on that path in the the neural pathway in my brain, I've created like this Y train track, right? And I could go down the path of that alcohol, but now I've actually created a new neural pathway where my brain says, literally as the words are coming out of my thought process, I deep breath. And just doing like three deep breaths in that moment has just as much, and I know it sounds ridiculous to people who have not yet incorporated this, but has just as much of a positive effect in my ability to calm down because I've created that as a coping skill. And I know you talk about meditation and different sort of things to do. I find that I don't always have the space for that in those moments that my brain is like, It's hard to go from 10 to 2. That's almost impossible. In fact, I never say, when you're so triggered, just sit down and meditate. It's like (laughs) trying to contain. It's probably not a great idea, honestly. But because we think that's the next option is to go from 10 to zen, then we realize I can't do that. So forget it. I'm just going to have a drink. But what you said is really brilliant. And I think the thing that a lot of programs and processes and people miss is changing your relationship with alcohol for most people who aren't addicted 
is less about abstaining. Like that's an important part because you have to just like the crummy romantic relationship, you probably are best to go no contact for while you get your stuff together, while you do the therapy and do the reorganizing of your nervous system. But the second part is to get some really productive actual coping strategies because what you've been doing for your entire adolescent and adult life, depending upon when you started using um, alcohol as a coping mechanism or as a Band-Aid, is you've been cheating. So you've been, exactly like you said, training your nervous system to say this is the answer. And it's no different than you thinking and telling everyone you're an Olympic-level swimmer, but you've never swam in in a pool without a life jacket on. Like, you actually don't know how to swim, my friend. And so if you get into the water without a life jacket, it's going to feel a little scary, but you can learn. You have to then learn how do you paddle? How do you tread water? How do you do the strokes? How do you actually swim without this flotation device that you've been using to cheat the system? And it is going to feel a little tremendous at first, but once you learn those different techniques that you can use that actually take the stress away, that actually calm your nervous system, it feels really empowering to do those like ninja mind tricks instead of Basically, what I say about alcohol is that it's not getting rid of the anxiety. It's not getting rid of the problem. It's just pickling it. Like alcohol is a preservative. It literally is pickling it and keeping it around for later. And it's just going to come back. Everybody who's listening, who's ever had a hangover, has felt that anxiety boomerang back the next day in full force. And then you're hungover and you don't have the capacity to deal with it. So could we implement some tools like for Stacey, if it's for you, if it's the deep breathing, taking some breaths when you hear that voice in your head that says, I could really use a drink. Or some of my other favorites are, the, the hard thing is, Stacey, they're all so easy. They are so easy that our little brain doesn't want to do the stupid little trick, which is take a few deep breaths. Go stand in the sunshine. Go stand outside and put your feet in the grass. These are not hard things. And our brain is so resistant to doing them because we don't want it to be that easy, but it could be that easy. And it it would be infinitely more effective than drowning your sorrows or your stress with a drink that's only going to make you less capable of dealing with stuff once you come out of it, right? Yeah, I have been shocked as I work with the most extreme trauma cases from fostering teenagers with Mm -hmm. trauma stories that are are literally the worst things that anyone could possibly think of Mm -hmm. and working with professionals who say things like what you're saying right like okay in those moments when you're triggered you've got to reset your neural your nervous system your neural pathways you have to do something different that manifests a physical sensation so if it's breathing if it's touching the grass if it's sunlight I've heard things like putting an ice cube in your hand, right? Like mm-hmm. just something to physically like pull your mind out of that place of overwhelm and mm-hmm. allow it to tap into your true capabilities, which is something you talk about, right? Like once you're over this hump, then you're open to the possibility of so much more. But mm-hmm. before we get there, we've talked already quite a few times about this idea of no contact, of dry mm-hmm. January. Mm-hmm. And for those people who haven't done this before, and that's feeling overwhelming, I'd love to talk about why it's so important. And specifically, you talk about archetypes popularized by Gretchen Rubin, who (laughs) I love. And she authored The Four Tendencies, which I've talked about here on the show before. Fantastic resource for personality types in general. And Mm -hmm. she posits that when we are 
naturally needing to be in our lives, either moderators or abstainers, that there is this concept of what that what we might be able to expect for ourselves long term that might give people a little more comfort as they enter a dry period like dry January. So this I love, first of all, that it's based on psychology and not just blue stuff. But can you give us a little more insight to that here as to how people can come to think about this process? Totally. And I want to say that I was right there with you. Like I didn't want abstaining from alcohol to be the answer because it was so intimidating to me. I came at this process, by the way, as a 30-year-old woman who was in the midst of the height of my like social single life. And that felt scary. And I know no matter where you are, you can make a cause for alcohol is so important. And it's not, is it too drastic to remove alcohol from my life because it's not a problem? And I kept trying to moderate. I kept trying to drink less. And I had all these tricks that I put into place that you probably have all employed to like eat on a drink on a full stomach, drink a glass of water between everything, only drink wine, only drink beer, only whatever, only drink on a special occasion. And none of it worked. None of it worked because I could always find an excuse. And more often than not, my intentions to have just a few would turn into a few too many. And then I'd be beating myself up. So what I learned was that there are two different tendencies or two different archetypes, the moderator and the abstainer. I'll tell you what, even though the moderator sounded very lucrative to me, that person is someone who naturally moderates almost anything in their life. They're better if they can set rules and guide rails with themselves and if it's always an option. Now, I wanted, I romanticized that view, but the reality was I am an abstainer. I'm very much an all or nothing person. And what happens when I try to make myself a moderator is that I'm always reeling in my head. When can I drink? What is the occasion? Is this a special occasion? Should I make an exception? How much will I drink? How will I keep myself from drinking too much? What will I do as a backup plan? And I always had this loop going in my head. But when I made the decision for dry January that I was, no questions asked, going to 100% abstain for 30 days, wow. I just had all of this mental freedom. I didn't have to think about it because it was a no. It was a not happening, non-negotiable. I'm not doing that for 30 days. And you might have to rearrange your schedule. Or for me, I was just stubborn as heck. And so I just really dug in my heels. But abstinence gave me so much freedom because I could, personally, I could be around alcohol just as long as I knew that the answer was no. And when it became a no, it became a no problem. And by the way, it's like this for me with anything. Like if you put a tray of cookies in front of me and you're like, Amanda, you could have one half of a cookie. That's not going to happen. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to have more than a half of a cookie. And if I'm working out, I'm either working out very consistently or I'm not working out at all. And I need the structure of some pretty hard and fast rules. So when I discovered the power of basically restriction, which is what I was putting myself under when I decided to abstain for dry January, I felt so free. I felt so mentally free. And I cleared up all of this bandwidth that I had been using to him and haw over alcohol. And all of a sudden, I could use that space for other things, not to mention the space that I gained back from drinking, being drunk and being hungover. And I realized that, oh, I'm just an abstainer. And if any of you have struggled to moderate that relationship with alcohol, if it's been a goal, I would actually... And I think that one of the things that we do is we ultimately go to, well, maybe I just have a problem then. If I can't drink at a moderate level, maybe I have a problem. And that's not the case. What if you just, it could be the case, I don't want to label that out, but what if you just consider that you might be 
someone who does better with abstinence with an all or nothing goal, that was really empowering to me. It helped me know something about myself. And once I knew that, it made it not intimidating and not a punishment to abstain. That's just how I'm wired. And that's cool. I think one of the things that made it easier for me, and I wouldn't have expected this to be the case, but over the years, I've realized that this is really helpful for people to hear, is that alcohol feels like a really special thing. It feels like a treat, right? Like, especially if we're making a fancy beverage, like a chocolate martini, right? Like that's not just like a glass of wine. That's like, a, I am really treating myself. I'm what's, We consider it some sort of self-care in some sort of way. And I found that in that transition that there was that deficit of, okay, but I had either a great day that I want to celebrate or I'm at an event and everybody else is drinking. What do I do? Right. Or for New Year's, everybody is cheersing with champagne. What do I do? And the minute that I allowed myself the freedom to not have guilt about a non alcoholic beverage being sugary or being whatever it is, and that being just as okay as if it had alcohol in it, it was incredibly freeing. I started putting kombucha in a wine class when I drank dinner. I started putting um, sparkling apple cider and champagne flutes. And when I would go out to special events where everybody was drinking, I would get like a tonic water or sparkling water with lime and lemon in the cup. And nobody asks questions when you mm -hmm. have a drink in your hand. And I 100% did not miss a single thing and enjoyed all of those moments. I think one of the other things that keeps people from feeling like they can abstain fully is this idea of like missing out, right? Like I don't want mm -hmm. the FOMO of missing out. And let me just tell you that you can have all of those drinks because it's been years for me and I do a lot of special events and traveling. And I just always ask for whatever that drink is in a mocktail, right? Like I'm just like, hey, can you make this for me as a mocktail? And there have been people who think that my mocktail look and taste better than their drink and they switch and they're like, oh, I wish I would have thought about that. I could have done that. And I'm like, it's not too late. You can go get one. Like you're not stuck with this thing that you have in your hand. So I think it's also opening up yourself to the possibility that not only will you feel better and be healthier, but like you can still have fun. This is not a negative thing. Not at all. I actually have two stories I want to share that speak to that because that was a real misconception. I grew up late bloomer, ugly duckling, not cool, definitely use alcohol as a tool to like be we with the cool crowd. don't talk negatively about ourselves on this show. Okay. My friend now, Amanda, you yes. can't talk negatively about my friend. Yes. Let me tell you, young Amanda didn't know what I know now. And she would be so amazed at the woman who I've become because she did not know how to fit in with everyone around her. And if you've ever been there, you know how much that can that story can ride over into your adult life. And it's really humbling. And I have so much love for that young girl who thought that she needed a tool. She needed something outside of herself to be cool and to be accepted and to allow herself to be outgoing and to show up and socialize and do all of those things. Like I have so much love and respect for her. But what I found is that was a story that she picked up. And she carried around in her backpack until she was 30 years old and realized she didn't have to have that story anymore. And if any of you have that story, I want to welcome you, even if it feels like it's buried down in that backpack really deep, to dig down in there and take it out and show some support for her. And 
what I heard in your narrative there, Stacey, are two different things that I think, well, actually three different things. One is people care a lot less about what you're doing and notice what you're doing a lot less. There are so many times when absolutely you can have something that is non-alcoholic and no one will ever know. No one will ever ask, but we fear what will happen if they do. Got a script for that. No big deal. Second, the power of suggestion is actually really strong. And you might just be the novel person, the first person to suggest being alcohol-free in your group. So like with you at the event, Stacey, people notice, oh, well, Stacey got a non-alcoholic drink and it tastes better. It doesn't have that bitter, tangy, fiery bite that my alcoholic drink has. That's actually a great idea. So you introduce someone else to the possibility you are the innovator. And the reality is this is an innovative conversation. So we are sometimes going first. And while that can feel a little scary and lonely, you're going to be surprised, I promise you, with how many people are like, oh, I would have done that too if I knew it was an option. Oh, I've been wanting to do that, but I was too scared to go first. You are going to be so surprised what the power of suggestion does for people around you. The story I was thinking of as I attended a, I was a, the maid of honor at a wedding back in the Midwest. I'm from Missouri. I live in Texas now, but I was going back to Missouri. And I called the venue. I called the wedding venue because I knew they weren't going to have anything non-alcoholic except club soda. And I said, hey, I'm going to send a box of sparkling champagne, non-alcoholic. Please put it aside for me. And that's what I'll be drinking during the event. And I just advocated for myself. I said, I'm shipping this to you. This is what's happening. And I had this all set aside for myself. And I had some non-alcoholic beers and a couple of other things because it's a long night and I'm going to stay there. And I look over and I notice one of the groomsmen, who's really cute, by the way, had one of my non-alcoholic beers. And I thought, well, how did he get my beer? And I like went over to him and I get ready to start a conversation almost like, why do you have my stuff? And he's like, whoa, this is so cool. I'm trying not to drink right now. And I didn't know they would have non-alcoholic beers. And I felt in that moment this warmth of, man, I just like, I just treated you. I just made your day better because of a decision the power of suggestion because of me going first, I helped you out. And that was just such, I call them like little love nudges, little glimmers, reminders that I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right thing. And my decision to show up differently is going to have a trickle down effect. And it almost always impacts someone else. I almost always find someone who's like, dang, I was hoping to drink less too. And you've just given me the permission slip to do that. So that's really powerful, right? This podcast is sponsored by my trusted restorative hair care, Vegamore, with a 20% discount so you can get the hair of your dreams for less with code WHOLEVIEW. If you want to create new habits for your health this New Year's, switching to safer personal care is a great one. I have been using and loving the results of their clean products for years and can validate their clinically proven results personally as well. Tested to improve density, reduce shedding, and 91% of customers say they saw visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months. Plus, all Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and never contain parabens. If it weren't for the results that I have seen myself with visibly thicker, fuller, much longer, fast-growing hair without all the harsh chemicals, I would not believe it, but they have so many products even for graying hair. I think everyone that I've talked to that has tried them has been thrilled with them. 
I personally found that the biggest difference was from the Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner. Switching to those was a game changer, and I actually recommend getting the foundation kit of those two items plus the clarifying serum, which helps because science shows that by massaging that in before you wash your hair, it's going to improve blood flow and scalp health which is especially important if you use dry shampoo or anything that's building up on your scalp. I love their dry shampoo. It even has CBD in it. But I will say the other thing that I have fallen in love with and cannot recommend enough is their spray leave-in conditioner with heat protection. This is a game changer. Sprays are especially important to use safer products on because you inhale them and consumption has a higher absorption rate of potential toxins. But mostly I am obsessed because it works and it smells good. It is awesome. Super hydrating without making my hair oily. And then it's providing heat protection from blow drying or curling or anything that you might be doing to your hair. For me, Using these products has allowed me to go longer between washing and just generally improve the overall health and wellness of my hair. Again, I could not grow my hair before I used Vegamore. It is a game changer. So give your hair the power of the little pink bottle with Vegamore. For a limited time, Wholeview listeners get 20% off their first order by going to vegamore.com slash Wholeview and use code Wholeview at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash Wholeview. Code Wholeview to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash Wholeview, code Wholeview. There's no risk when trying because they have a 90-day money-back guarantee. See what I love at vegamore.com slash Wholeview. Absolutely. And I think I cannot agree with you more. Like I was nodding and just like, absolutely. When you were talking about how you will find that you might be the first person in your group, but that there will be so many other people who are curious and want to hear more or want to like jump in and do it with you or ask you questions. Because I've been going, I I travel maybe six times a year to work events with a lot of the same people. And we have very fancy dinners and different kinds of things. And shout out to my friend, Jess Dukes, who she and I are both sober, not because we have to be, but because we want to be. And no matter who of us is at the event is in the drink line first, we always get two of whatever the alcohol-free thing is, and we get it for the other person. And it's like our little like you said, love nudge to one another to Uh also just feel a little bit like I'm not alone, right? And so I can bring her whatever the mocktail is or she can bring me whatever she's found. And I have such a connection and a power in that. And every time it happens, because we're the other person is standing around talking to a group of people, they're all like, hey, why did you get Stacey a drink and you didn't get me one? And Joss will say, well, I went to get the mocktail and I know Stacy doesn't drink. And inevitably, there's always at least one person, if not the whole group, that's like, tell me about that. Like, t- yes. how is that for you? Do you feel better? What are the benefits? Like, everybody wants to hear about it. And inevitably, I will, t- like every single event, Jess and I will talk to multiple people who are like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then the next event, like three other people aren't drinking either. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the next event, like six more people aren't drinking. And it does feel hard 
because I think one of the, well, one of the hardest parts is this idea of when you're talking to other people, especially during this time of year, it feels incredibly difficult to say to someone, no, I'm not doing that right now. And I remember mm-hmm. the same feeling when I went gluten-free years and mm-hmm. years ago, right? Because yeah. People are internalizing their own guilt or shame or thinking that it has something to do about them as to why you might be saying no to something. Or they think, oh, you can't have any fun if you don't enjoy this thing with me, right? Like whether it's alcohol or the cake that I made or whatever it is. You have steps that you outline to talk about things and to help with that. Can you Mm -hmm. share a little bit about that? Yes, totally. And having that conversation, as I said, most people aren't going to notice, but I also don't want you to live in secrecy with this decision because it is something that when you do talk about it, if you choose to, that it can be really powerful. It can encourage other people to do so. Not to say I want you all to go out there and be knocking on doors about sobriety, but if you have a really short, simple, sweet script that you deliver with confidence and with poise, people are going to be like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And I'm curious about that too. Just like you're noticing, Stacey, people are slowly like, maybe not getting on the bandwagon, at least walking next to it. And that feels really cool. And so what I always say is we want to make a script that is best case scenario going to communicate both physically and or both literally and metaphorically to yourself, your inner self and the other person. So here's what I like to put in a script. First is the fact. I'm not drinking right now. And it needs to be non-negotiable, delivered with a lot of certainty. I'm not drinking right now. If you're looking at the video, I'm smiling. I'm I'm happy about it. I'm not like Eeyore, like, I'm not drinking right now. I can't have that. Like, I'm trying to be positive because someone's reception of that is going to be reflected in the way that I deliver. And I also like to put a time frame. If it's right now, that's great. If it's if you're through the end of the year for the next 30 days, even if you intend to go longer, I really like putting that time frame element. And here's psychologically why. It says to your friend, not right now, but maybe later. And it's not a forever thing. And it also says to your internal nervous system, this isn't a forever thing. So you don't have to have this huge conversation about will you ever drink again, especially if you put, I'm not drinking at least through the end of the year. And that gives you permission to reevaluate and it gives them permission to not freak out and think like, oh my gosh, where's our friendship going? What's happening? Why are you doing that? Am I wrong? Should I not drink too? People, it's just, there's this silent communication. Like you said, this silent shame and guilt where we say, we used to do this together. It used to be okay for me and now it's not. We make interpretations about that. So you squelch that with the, I'm not drinking right now. Then you offer an inarguable reason why because I don't like the way that it made me feel and I want to feel good. It's inarguable and it's the truest truth. People can't argue with how you feel. And if they try to, that's a person you might want to reevaluate how much time you're spending with them right now. What you don't want to do is put in a fib because I have, even if it's true, an, an arguable fib, because I have to drive, because I'm getting up early, because I'm on medication. Do not lie. First of all, please do not lie and give up, give it a reason. But most importantly, don't give something that's wishy-washy because you're, somebody could argue, oh, well, you can have just one or oh, one. They're, that's what they're going to do. They're going to argue just one because it makes them feel better. And so we have deliver with confidence. I'm not drinking time frame because and that's all you got to say. And if you deliver your script with that confidence and that clarity, people usually aren't going to question it. And if they do, they might say something like, what you were hearing, Stacey, which is, oh, tell me more about that. 
And then you can choose to have whatever conversation you want to have at that point in time. But if you're really clear on why you're not drinking, because you don't like the way it makes you feel, that's what you can then dive into more deeply. And I think it it's just like the shortest, sweetest way to approach it in my experience. And I love that you also address in the book that evaluation of relationships and friends and how they're either serving you or not. And that you mentioned like maybe evaluate spending how much time you're spending with that person. You said right now, but I think yeah. a lot of changes like this, if we think about it, right, like when we become mothers or when we get our first full-time office job versus our friends who work nights and weekends, or when we change our lifestyles, whether it be dietary or alcohol, all of these trigger different social groups. And Mm -hmm. for me, there's this woman on Instagram and TikTok. I forget. She's Barb. She's somebody Barb. And she's like amazing. I don't know if you've seen her, but peaceful Barb. Yes. Like whiteboards and has the best messages. And one of the messages I remember so clearly and vividly that she um, put up a long time ago was this idea of if a friend is, if you're no longer friend with someone right now, that it doesn't mean that you didn't have a genuine relationship with them in the past, or it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. And I think that a lot of us could think like think about relationships that we've had in our lives that were really positive and wonderful for that time in our life that we were that person and we changed and grew and maybe they didn't at that time or they changed in a different sort of way or whatever it is but I think this idea of thinking of your own personal growth through like let's say you do a dry January and it goes so well for you and you're like you know what I am going to try to continue with this throughout going forward And I have a friend who's really resistant to that. I have a friend who's like insisting that not only do I still come bar hopping with them, but every time I do, they're pushing alcohol on me and not respecting my boundaries and all of those kinds of things. And so you say to yourself, you know what, this isn't who I want to be spending my time with. That's okay. It doesn't mean that like you hate that person or they're a bad person or that relationship is broken. I just, I think that we need to allow ourselves more flexibility and freedom as we change and grow as people to have those maturing relationships. And that definitely happened with me when I went from writing diet cookbooks to saying, actually, diets are problematic. And Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry I did that. Mm -hmm. I have a huge group of friends based on the fact that we all wrote cookbooks like dietary cookbooks together, who I then internalize that as negativity themselves felt ostracized and those relationships changed and some of those relationships were healthy and strong and could tolerate that and understand where I was coming from and that it was a personal choice for me and that we could still be friends and they could respect those boundaries while others could not and Mm -hmm. then our relationship changed Mm -hmm. and I am where I want to be I am the person that I want to become I am making a better life for myself by being a better mother, by being a better person, all of these things that I want. And if you have a friend that cannot honor that for you in any of these phases of your life, peaceful Barb says, it's okay. I would move on. We all trust peaceful Barb. She gave great advice. I mean, there's like one person on the internet that I would like 100% hands down, like, 
I never want to be like, whatever they say, I endorse. I, but Peaceful Barb, like I've never once seen anything where I'm like, oh, she got that wrong. Nope, she's never missed the mark. Friend, did your holiday gifts feel like the SNL skit where the mom's like, I got a robe? Come check out Beauty Counter's winter sale. The deepest discounts of the year are here and it is the perfect way to treat yourself and help you save switching to safer personal care and better beauty. And I've got something special and exclusive for you listeners at realeverything.com slash December because you deserve more than a robe. Plus, when you shop at beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth, you're also supporting my woman-owned small business. Made with sustainable, fair trade, and skin-nourishing ingredients, Beauty Counter is a B Corp focused on people and planet. It's a little luxury that makes a positive impact on your health. For all of our collective communities through legislative change and giving back, as well as for the earth through sustainable manufacturing practices. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone. Go to beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth, just like any other website. And when shopping at Beauty Counter, choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so I can thank you. No, never. And it's really about approaching it with, just as you said, that doesn't mean that the person who was your friend, who's now the peer pressure person, is bad, wrong, or evil. It just means that you're on two separate paths and that sometimes sometimes people will follow you along or sometimes people will meet you on your path every now and then and say hello. And sometimes people try to drag you down and keep you on their path because that's what's most comfortable to them. And that's okay. They're doing that because of their own stuff. And that also doesn't mean that you need to expose yourself to that just because you've known them for 20 years or because you went through, they supported you through something really difficult or whatever, or it doesn't, those things are great. And It does not mean that they get to manipulate you and keep you stuck in an old version of yourself just because you've gone through something difficult together or you've been friends for a really long time. Like that's that's not what a friendship is built on. And I really I I hope that those experiences will be fewer and further between for anyone who's listening. I know that they've been very far far between for me. Most of the friendships that have dissolved have done so rather organically and without very much drama. But I can see where we all might have a life lesson where we do have to experience what it's like to set a boundary with someone who's really pushing our limits. And I think that those are opportunities for us to say, hey, this isn't what friendship looks like to me anymore and figure out a way to set a boundary, allow it to dissolve or walk away. And that's the beauty of life is that we have these lessons presented to us. And sometimes they're in not so fun packages, but... I'm sure that you learned something or the people who have had to have these conversations have learned something about themselves and how to deal with adversity and conflict and what real friendship means to them. And I know that I've certainly leveled up the type of friendships that I have. And again, that doesn't mean that my old friends were bad or wrong. It just means that I grew and needed something else. And so I had to. It's no like no different than, uh, Stacey, do you still go to a pediatrician for your own health care? No, because you are a grown woman and that would not be effective. So you got to upgrade to somebody else. Yeah. And I think it goes back to that original analogy of the partner who is not the best person that you would want for your best friend, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's going to happen eventually anyway. Yeah. It's just the removal of alcohol becomes the catalyst for that conversation in Mm -hmm. some sort of way. Totally. Like, that relationship was already not 
stable and healthy, if that's the thing that kind of starts to erode a relationship, Mm -hmm. that's not really the thing that started to erode a relationship. Yep. I recommend to listeners, you've got a ton of information on all of these topics in your book, Unbottled Potential, Break Up with Alcohol and Break Through Your Best Life. Before we say goodbye, I always like to leave listeners with some positive, actionable suggestions that they can take and be of service to work on themselves. And so let's say someone is interested in moving forward with dry January. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the things that they can do to set themselves up for success, but on a very simple, basic, not overwhelming level. Oh, I've got two big tips for you. The first is to, if this feels good, commit and make it non-negotiable and commit and make it your main thing. I know the new year especially is a very tempting time to try and overhaul your life and become like a world fighting champion or something, (laughs) but that's not what we're doing here. We are creating a strong foundation. We want to make the main thing. And I can promise you, if you have any other goals, health and wellness, fitness, weight loss, mental health, being a being a more present mother, being a more patient mother, being a more present partner, finding a partnership, whatever it is for you, I promise you that those things will be infinitely easier to get to if you if your body, mind and soul and schedule don't have alcohol as a distraction. And so if you were to just make the main thing and then focus on five other very simple areas of self-care, and I'm going to give those to you, drink water, sleep and rest. And so that looks like not only nighttime sleep, but maybe doing a little reset or self-reflection time during the day. Um, Move, get out and move your body. Five minutes, a walk, five minutes of stretching. Nothing, it doesn't, you don't have to run a marathon. This isn't, we're not tracking calories or heart rate here. Just move your body and get some sunshine. And what was the fifth one? Am I on four? Yes. And and make sure you're eating when your body says to eat. Do not let yourself get hangry or hungry. This isn't the time to do a restrictive diet. It's just the time to feed your body and make sure that you are nourishing yourself, whatever that best looks like for you. But don't try to overhaul your life and quit alcohol at the same time, even if you're just taking a break. Focus on the basics, make the main thing, and everything else will fall into place once you get into that rhythm. I just have seen it. I've been doing this For seven years, I host a dry January challenge every year for anyone who's in in trust. You can look me up if you would like some support. But keeping it simple is the best thing, the best piece of advice that I can offer. I love both of those and that you're leading a challenge. What great timing. Yeah. So listeners, you can find Amanda at amandakuda.com and on Instagram. And so there you'll have links to all of the things that you would need if you wanted to do that challenge and other resources that you have available. And I would like to thank listeners for tuning in today. I know it's a hard topic. Every time Mm -hmm. I say I don't drink and I don't drink caffeine, people are like, oh my God, like everybody makes a face. And I'm like, but I feel better. Like it's Mm -hmm. a choice I make for myself, for my health. And I intentionally make that choice. I think one of the things that you said early on is not to have the negativity of like, I can't. But to me, I'm like, I choose to do that Mm -hmm. because I feel so much better. I could drink a cup of coffee or have a glass of alcohol. Nothing is going to implode on me. But I personally make that choice because it makes me feel my best. So like, thank you listeners for being willing to hear that. And I hope that you remember that there is no guilt or shame on whatever you are on your journey. And 
it is truly a choice. Like we are all adults. As you said, we're not going to the pediatrician anymore. <laughs> so your ability to listen and learn, even if you're not going to take this forward for yourself, is huge. Because if you're able to hear this and process what we're saying and you're like, yeah, no, those aren't really problem areas for me. Fantastic. Like everything is different for everybody. I know for me, I have a story very similar to you, Amanda, and I feel so much better because of it. So listeners, thank you for your willingness to give that a try. And I love that dry January has become a thing instead of like this ridiculous weight loss journey that people have every the beginning of January. And by the end of February, they've gained all the way back plus some that they were trying to lose the beginning of January. It's like, why not do something else for your health? So we put a list of resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com as well as whatever um, app or device you're listening to the show on. You can also head to patreon.com slash the whole view to get all of our shows delivered to your inbox ad free, which is a great way to support the show that we create and produce ourselves. And as a reminder, if you enjoyed the show, could you please leave a review saying so? It costs you nothing except about 30 seconds of time and makes a huge difference in our ability to continue to do this work. And don't forget to follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using. And I want to thank you once again for your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal change because no one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Amanda, is there anything we forgot or you want to mention before we say goodbye? No, I just want to say thank you, Stacey, for for having me here. And the other thing that I, I want to actually loop back around to to give you a piece of gratitude on and a piece of acknowledgement is you know, you said that you are fostering teenagers. And I think that is such like, oh my gosh, what a like wonderful big heart and home that you have for that. And the decision that you've made, not just to not drink alcohol, but to learn to regulate your own nervous system, that is such a powerful and impactful trickle down effect that you're going to have on your own biological kiddos and on these other kids who are staying with you who have never had that demonstrated to them. So yes, that is an aspect of you being alcohol free, but that's really an aspect of you learning how to and deciding to learn how to regulate this. And they're going to learn that skill from you. And I think that's really powerful because that's going to go on to affect their lives and everyone around them. So I just wanted to acknowledge you for that because I think that it could have been like lost in the message there. And I just think that's really rad. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I do think that when we as parents think about what we want our children's lives to be, I don't want my children to be dependent on or coping with alcohol or some other maladaptive way to cope, right? And so it is a way also to model being that parent. And I appreciate your um, kind of seeing that and speaking to it. And listeners, hopefully it helps motivate you. I want to remind you, you can find amandauda.com on her website or on Instagram. And her book is Unbottled Potential. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.